Welcome to the Energy Nerd Show, powered by Synapse Energy Economics and Climable.org. Energy Nerd Show. Hey, Jeannie. Yeah, Brew. Who's our guest on the Nerd Show today? Today we have Jamie Van Nostrand from University of West Virginia School of Law. Good morning. Cool. Good morning. Thanks for being on the show. Of course. So uh, you wrote a book. You want to tell us about your book? I wrote a book called The Coal Trap, How West Virginia Was Left Behind in the Clean Energy Revolution. I've been at West Virginia University since July of 2011. It's pretty much my observations since I've been there. It's uh, The working title of the book as I was writing it was called The Lost Decade, and it was really about the years 2009 to 2019 sort of the fundamental transformation that was going on in the energy industry as as fracking occurred and cheap natural gas and coal plants being pushed out of the money in the wholesale markets and then later on in that decade we had wind and solar and how did how did the West Virginia politicians respond to that opportunity and um, the transition that was pretty much thrust upon us and they pretty much denied that the transition was happening and that's why I call it the lost decade there were really 10 years there we knew things were changing fundamentally in 2009 with, with fracking and availability of large quantities of cheap natural gas. And instead, we spent all our energy whining about a war on coal and blaming everything on Obama's job killing EPA. I read the book the last couple of days, and I, I was really impressed. I, I thought that the parts that I knew about, you know, the kind of uh, energy economics, you know, clean energy uh, availability and price and the, uh, and the kind of national level, politics and policies, you know, cap and trade. And, you know, and so we were very involved in all of that. And, and I thought you described it really well in a way that was, um, you know, it's hard to make PUC proceedings compelling. And, and you, really, you, really told, you really told good stories, you know, so, so we've been in those trenches. And I thought you described that beautifully, both accurately and in a way that it's, it's uh, readable and accessible, which is no small feat. But then the parts about like West Virginia politics and, um, you know, the shift from blue to red and the unions and Manchin's role and, and, you know, the friends of coal, that was all or mostly new to me and, and really interesting. So I feel like I feel like I learned a lot. There's kind of like half that I knew and another half where I was really learning a lot about West Virginia and its um, critical role in U.S. Uh, energy policy. Yeah, obviously, for the last 18 months or so, Joe Manchin's been like the second most powerful person in America. So a lot of attention was focused on West Virginia. What is Joe Manchin thinking? So he he started off only getting a few pages. He ended up getting a whole chapter by the time I got done with with the book. Um, and, and in my mind, just a lot of lost opportunities. I mean, I think the Inflation Reduction Act has finally got passed in August. has a lot of good things in there for West Virginia in terms of energy communities, prevailing wage requirements, apprenticeship requirements. It potentially can attract a lot of investment. I give Senator Manchin some credit for those good things that ended up in there. There just could have been a lot more in terms of you know the Clean Electricity Performance Program, which would have basically what I see is subsidize our electric utilities to decarbonize like they should have been doing for the last 10 years and help get us our electricity rates down because they've increased at five times the national average over the last dozen or so years. And it's going to get worse, the policies that the Public Service Commission is currently following. As they're reading through it and thinking of it as a story of, you know, the, who are the good guys and the bad guys or the, that kind of thing, you know, it, I, kept, I kept kind of changing, like, like I, you know, talk about a failure of courageous leadership and things like that. But I was kind of going through the pieces. There's one point where I was um, starting to blame 
the West Virginia people, like, oh my God, you, you know, like oh. you, you elected, but then it was kind of like, oh man, the uh, PR campaign and the friends, I was like, oh my God, that was like, um, it was brilliant. brutal it was and effective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was brilliant in a very diabolical sort of way. And, and, you know, Bill Rainey is one of the characters that's like throughout the book. Cause I, I first ran into to Bill, Literally, I started testifying in favor of integrated resource planning when I got on the ground in 2011. I thought, well, where do we start in this state? I got nothing. I got no RPS, no energy efficiency resource standard. Let's just start with integrated resource planning. We can actually get energy efficiency and supply-side solutions on a same and equal basis. And I started testifying down in and lobbying down in Charleston. And the next meeting, Bill Rainey shows up. And then the senator says, well, when Rainey starts showing up to your meetings, you know you're starting to get some traction. And next thing I know... Bill's inviting me to go tour the Longview coal plant, which is north of Morgantown, came online in 2011. It was actually, at the time, the cleanest and most efficient coal plant in the country, and Bill gave me a tour of that, along with Don Nealon, who was the former WVU football coach, who was very part of this, big part of this Friends of Coal thing, right? It's like, because uh, the Friends of Coal thing was was brilliant in terms of Head football coach at Marshall, head football coach at WVU. Let's get a let's get a bass fisherman. Let's get a NASCAR race driver. Let's get a military figure. And it's like, and so if if you're against coal, you're just you're anti patriotic, right? And then and then the friends of coal presence just everywhere, stickers everywhere, sponsoring all the events. Um, it, it was it was brilliant. And then you know with um, with the decline in union membership and the decline of the influence of the United Mine Workers, the friends of coal kind of filled that gap and then and then when Obama gets elected president, the friends of coal easily morphs into the war on coal. Um, and you now the Western people are great. I mean they but I just it's it's mostly a criticism of the politicians and, and the narrative that they created for that ten year period, blaming everything on Obama's job killing EPA. And it was just environmental regulations had just a, such a small such a small role in the demise of the coal industry. And just really missing opportunities. Right? Exactly. It's going to be hard to catch up. Well, you mentioned something really positive that Manchin helped get into the IRA, the workforce development. And can you talk a little bit about those things that are going to be better for West Virginians because of IRA? I had a conference a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic on a just transition. You know, how do we, how do we deal with, with redeploying all this, this talented workforce that we have in West Virginia and, the, you know, the big rap is, well, those clean energy jobs, they don't pay as much as our fossil fuel jobs. And, the, you know, kids come right out of high school and make $85,000 a year going to the coal mine. So the, the nice thing the Inflation Reduction Act has, well, if you want to get the full bang for the buck on those tax incentives, you have to have the prevailing wage requirements. And so you have to pay these clean energy workers a good salary. And then the apprenticeship requirements, which means that's the retraining piece of a certain percentage of the workforce has to be apprentice. And then there's the energy community piece, which is a 10% kicker if you make these investments in energy communities. And if you look at the maps that Resources for the Future has done and EDF has done, pretty much the whole state of West Virginia is an energy community by virtue of either the brownfield or a coal mine closing down or a coal plant closing down. So it's, it's a lot of uh, investment opportunities targeted that really could provide benefits for West Virginia. So what do people need to do to uh, make the most of that? You know, so I mean, some of the, the IRA and the, the, the Build Back Better funding will sort of naturally flow in, in West Virginia's direction. But, but I, I think there's, there's probably a lot that has to be done to make, uh, make sure it uh, you know, really happens and is done well and to make the most of the opportunities. Well, one of the things I've been saying since the Inflation Reduction Act got passed is we currently don't have the same policies at the state level that's going to embrace that and leverage that. Because, in fact, 
we have a public service commission for the last 15 months that has been scolding the utilities for not running the coal plants at their historical capacity factors. They've been historically like 69 to 70%. Last fall, AEP and First Energy come in for their annual power cost adjustment filing, and the commission says, what's up with these low capacity factors in the 30s, 40s, 50s? And they're just saying, well, we're backing down the coal plants because we can find cheaper sources of energy in the competitive wholesale market. Saving customers money. So that's what we think we're supposed to do, right? We're telling you we're supposed to we're going to manage our resource portfolio in a way that holds down costs. And the commission said, we don't want you to do that. We think we think rate pairs are better off when you run the coal plants more. And so, um, and they're and they're still fighting about it. In the most recent case, um, it's currently being considered by the commission. The, the the consumer advocate is literally recommending that First Energy buy another coal plant, the Pleasant Stations coal plant. Um, so it's, this, it's the influence of the fossil fuel. I mean, Charlotte Lane is the chair of the commission, and now Bill Rainey, the former president of the West Virginia Coal Association, is a commissioner. And it's, it's just it's, – it's really pretty incredible what – and, of course, the, the rates have already gone up um, so you – know, just so much, like 180 percent since 2008 if you're an AEP customer. And now we're going to do this capacity factor stuff where you're going to run the coal plants even though cheaper power is available on the competitive wholesale market. I mean, it's – it's and and some of, and they they write orders that make it sound like yeah they running the coal <laughs> running the coal plants is is better maybe that's the way we need to hold down our rates is running the coal plants more I'm just like it just flies right in the face of economic reality it does it does and and the ratepayers can't afford to pay for it I mean when this very you know the second poorest state in the country in terms of per capita income and some really really impoverished parts of the state you know the southern coal regions of the state Appalachian Power Service territory. It's just dreadful economic conditions, and, and they can't afford to pay those kind of rate increases. So do you know any people there with some political power who see the opportunities in the IRA and are, are you know, talking about kind of taking advantage of them? On the bright side, I mean, I got to say, the legislature, I mentioned a couple things in the, in the book, is the, the bill that got passed in 2020 that gave the utilities the ability to do utility-scale solar and dedicate some of that output to large customers. And then 2021, we got the third-party financing for, for rooftop solar. Those are two big developments. And then most recently in September, you know, Berkshire Hathaway comes in and says, hey, we're going to put a 200-megawatt renewable microgrid in Jackson County, the former Century Aluminum site, and of course, basically, the bill that ended up getting passed had to exempt it from P- PSC regulation because it's like, and basically, what the bill that got passed is uh, Berkshire Hathaway can do anything they want within that microgrid. So we have another Berkshire Hathaway subsidiary, Precision Cast Parts, is going to locate a factory there. So it's very exciting. But the legislature stepped up and said, if Berkshire Hathaway wants a bill that allows them to do a renewable energy microgrid and wants to be exempt from P- PSC regulation, then we're going to give it to them. So the legislature has been stepping up because I think they get the message when these the job creators, I call them, it's the companies that have the aggressive corporate sustainability goals. And in West Virginia, that's that's Toyota, that's Procter & Gamble, and that's Walmart. I mean, you can't really argue with your largest customers when they come in, the job creators, and they say, if we come to West Virginia, can we get access to renewable energy? Well, no, actually, it's 91% coal-fired, and the rates are going up really, really fast. That's um, not very attractive. And so I think the job creators uh, are getting that message across, and I think the economic development folks for the state, they're starting to get that message across to the legislators that we need to respond. If we're going to attract these jobs, we've got to meet these demands. And so the legislature has been has been stepping up. But one of my points after the Berkshire Hathaway bill got passed, literally in a day, 
I said, well, the fact that Berkshire Hathaway are required to be exempted from PSC regulation, doesn't that really tell you tell you what the problem is? Um, they used to be my client. You know, I was working out in the Northwest, and Berkshire Hathaway helped handle that merger when they acquired Pacificorp. And they were, you know, that's a really, really well-run company. They're, they do really good due diligence. And I think they said, yeah, guess what? We're not coming to West Virginia if we have to deal with that, that PSC. I, I went on the record and said, this is the most anti-consumer, anti-renewable, pro-coal commission in the country. Isn't it going to be great when the West Virginia legislature is a model leading the rest of the nation? Because I think <laughs> the legislatures everywhere will have to do something to allow clean energy microgrids because that yeah. utility franchise is a barrier everywhere. It's exciting. I mean, when I was at the Pace Energy and Climate Center, Tom Bourgeois and I did a project for NYSERDA working with uh, Columbia, talking about the regulatory and legal barriers to microgrids. I mean, there's a lot of things there. And of course, until Superstorm Stan- Sandy happened, uh, Con Edison was totally opposed to microgrids, but that's that's really the future. But there's a lot of there's a lot of barriers. But if commissions are on board, you can make it happen. Uh, if they're not on board, then you got you got to pass some statutes. But it, no, that's the, that's the exciting part. We have a renewable energy microgrid, and Berkshire Hathaway Renewables coming to the state. That's that's pretty exciting for people who want to read your book. Where should, where should they buy your book? Well, it's available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or probably your local independent book sale, seller will be able to get it, um, both hardback and and paperback. Um, it's it's been uh, it's been a fun little tour. Seriously, ex- excellent book. Lots of detail about the story and really telling the story in a compelling way. So, so thanks for writing it. Well, as you know, talking about utility regulation is, is pretty wonky. Um, and I tried to make it as you know, as understandable as I could, accessible as I could. But it, but it's a, a lot of it. A lot of it is, was, was pretty challenging to write in an interesting sort of way. But, um, but that, you know, I was doing, doing rate cases for 22 years and growing up as a son of a utility regulator is kind of in, in my blood. So. Well, uh, thanks, thanks for doing it. And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Jeannie. Been a pleasure. Take care. Check out the show notes for visuals and links for more info on the topics discussed. You can find the Energy Nerd Show on social media pretty much everywhere at Energy Nerd Show or on our website at energynerdshow.com. Thanks for listening.